0: Welcome to Dear Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Zamatia. I'm a painter and founder of Dear Artist Podcast and Support Circle. I created this podcast as a means to collect and share love letters from artist to artist. I believe each and every one of us has a unique message and meaningful story to tell each other, no matter where we came from and how far along we are in our journey. I also believe that when we tell our story, we're not only helping and encouraging other people, but we are also learning about ourselves and healing ourselves in the process. I hope you will find peace, encouragement, empowerment, and most of all, lots and lots of love from each episode. If you would like to learn more about the podcast and our support circle or if you would like to collaborate on a project you can visit dearartistproject.com for more information thank you so much for listening hello artist this is episode 9 of dear artist podcast season 2 today i'm interviewing katherine haggerty katherine is based in brooklyn new york she is an artist an adjunct professor at the School of Visual Arts and also a co-director of the New York City Crit Club. I invited Catherine to write a love letter to you in particular about crits and how to receive them. I'm very interested in hearing her point of view on this as it is something that she is very passionate about. So yes, we have a lot to cover today. And I want to get right to it. So here is Catherine and her love letter.
1: Dear artists, time is important. It is important to allow yourselves time to think, to take notes, to offer a cushion to what is the never ending stream of productivity markers in society. These markers include exhibitions, Instagram, CVs, grants and press. Under the current stream of silence in the world and a lack of options to attend art shows, use the time to draw, to think, and to regroup. Time is important, but it is also a privilege. Don't beat yourself up because you work and that you insist on working and painting to sustain your life. This is the case for the majority of people in the art world. Additionally, don't be hard on yourself because you don't make a good painting when you're in the studio, allowing yourself an opportunity to, to risk a lot in the work. This matters and often results in surprising and strong work. In the end, it doesn't matter anyway, since art is a living and breathing thing. Art needs room to grow, to change, to mess up, and you are its gatekeeper. On criticism, it's good. Take it or don't. Listen, most people aren't trained well in how to critique, how to write, and how to discuss art. Therefore, listen to kids and listen to the select few peers and professors and critics that know what's going on. You can tell who knows by their ability to listen and their ability not to project the opposite of what is going on in your work. It is easy to suggest Black when there is white in a painting. It is more important, however, to know what the point of Black is, and very few can help you dive into that conversation. So when someone asks you, what is your style, resist the urge to categorize yourself and take critiques with a grain of salt. Occasionally, you will get people that like your work, take it, and don't attach too much with it. For better or worse, praise is good simply because rejections are abundant. Believe the good stuff as much as you believe the tough remarks. Over the arc of your life, you'll get plenty of good and bad remarks. Keep a distance from both. When everyone loves your work, you should begin to question that. When everyone hates your work, you are probably ahead of your time or stuck in the past. Better to be ahead of your time than stuck in the past though. Nostalgia isn't creative and it glosses over the important stuff. Time is important. Allow yourself as much as you can. Resist the urge to look at your phone in the downtime. Shut your eyes and imagine a painting. Build it with what is around you. Mind map kind of stuff. It will help, I promise.
0: Thank you, Catherine, and welcome to the
1: podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Benz. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: So let's start. <laughs> let's start. I um want you to talk about Catherine as a person like as a whole as an artist and educator can you tell us who you are and how you got here
1: oh that's a big first question mm-hmm. about how I got here well I'll give my parents credit for that um but I uh I'm an artist and um I also work as an instructor and critic and an occasional writer in the art world um I grew up a pretty intense athlete and uh, spent the better part of my formative years kind of uh, working incredibly hard at athletics um, and thinking that that was going to be like my life. Um, and of course, I realized very soon into college that I wasn't going to be going to the WNBA <laughs> and realized that um, I wanted to use my work ethic towards something else. And so. I went to a state school in Pennsylvania for sports and I double majored in psychology and and fine art. So I took a really minimal amount of fine art classes in undergrad and I didn't know what I was going to do and um, I left when I was of course you know 20, 21 and I took a few years off before I ended up going to graduate school and in that time I just bartended and you know, ran some half marathons and made art, but I had no idea of what the art world was um, that I'm in now, anyway. And that, and that was only eleven to twelve years ago. So it's sort of humbling to think what can happen in ten years. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm an artist, and um, I live in Brooklyn with my partner Andrew, who's also an artist and uh, faculty at Pratt and some other schools. And um, you know, I I think I've I think I'm a pretty much a workaholic I think I like to make excuses like oh it's just a busy time but I think I just keep going and projects keep building and you know demand thankfully seems to be high for for shows and for for production but I I am I think I like it that way I um, I feel really lucky to be here and I feel really lucky to be an artist and to have a community that you know asks of me things and also supports me Um, you know, and so, yeah, I'm really thankful and I'm very curious and I don't know everything and I am, I'm humbled every time I, I start a new year, how much I don't know. And so, yeah, I'm trying to, to just be as good as I can in whatever I'm doing. But, um, uh, yeah, painting is definitely my, my passion and the thing I'm working so hard for really ultimately. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I've seen your work and loved it. But I always like to ask this question um, in case someone who hasn't seen you on Instagram, how would you describe your art to them?
1: Well, I, you know, I, my uncle asked me the other day, he's a very sweet guy, he said, what, What's your style? And this is something I, I loathe um, because basically what people want is, you know, to explain that it is either representational or abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, And those are two two binaries essentially two systems of of how we understand the extremes of art So what I would say is that I'm interested in um, Observation um, from the world around me. I'm interested in paying attention to the things I notice Um, I'm in love with color Um, I'm in love with the idea of how forms can collide and become new forms with the push and pull of paint um I'm terribly interested in paying close attention to details um, through contour lines, through um, continual line, through automatic line. Um, And ultimately, I'm not interested in the idea that the viewer can name something, you know, in my painting um, as the noun. But I'm a little more interested in the ambiguity between when a noun becomes a verb or a verb becomes an adjective. So, you know, I I don't, that doesn't answer the question necessarily in the easiest way, but um, right now I'm interested in animals. I'm interested in repetition of form and um, pushing boundaries in the picture plane and also my imagination. Um, It's just a tough thing, you know, to say like what my art looks like, because I also don't create every painting the same for better or for worse for my life. Um, I'm not interested in um, repeating what i know is um has succeeded once so um yeah i don't know if that really helps yeah
0: yeah, it it can be any version that you want because it's your art (laughs) i love it because it's an open-ended question you know um and it helps me know more about why you create not necessarily like you said i'm not interested in the style but it's Mm -hmm. more of like what's in the art and
1: right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, what's, I, that's a I I like that last sentence you said, what's in it. I mean, I think very, very personally, good art should be a reflection of how you operate in the world. And so I like to think that if someone could pick out a few adjectives of how I operate in the world, that that's how my paintings operate. So um, yeah, I mean, I think they're sweet. I think they're, Um, generous and these are all optimistic terms of myself but these are things I aim to be Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they're full of light and so um, in in a very simple way I really do think your work operates the way you do as a person Mm -hmm. um, assuming you're not an art factory or something Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) yeah now I also am curious about your teaching um, because you mentioned you teach do you teach at SVA right now and um Are you also, you're also running a crit group? Yeah, Um, so I'm- I would love to hear more about those two.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, so yeah, I do teach, um, I'm part-time faculty at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Um, So I teach undergraduate um, art majors. um, And so in the the wide range of courses that I teach, um, I teach drawing two, drawing one, I teach the theory and the history of drawing. I teach non-European art histories. I teach European art histories. So it's a lot. It's a huge gamut. um, And that is a very fun job and um, difficult of course too, but I'm very thankful for it. And um, I learn a great deal every time I teach a course, even if I've taught it once. And I think it's really humbling to think that you can teach a course a few times and know how to do it. Every single time I reteach a course, I want to improve it. And I realize that there's just so many gaps that could be better and that, um, you know, every group of students is different and comes from all over the world. And that's really interesting. So a lot of my students are from the West Coast and from, you know, um, you know, China and uh, Korea and so, yeah, it's really humbling to see what they like and what they're interested in. And ultimately, college sounds like adults, but they're still really young. They don't, you know, they haven't formed their body of work yet. They're, they need to learn habits. They need to learn how to break habits. They lean, need to learn why that's an even important thing to break a habit as an artist. Um, and they also need some real talk. You know, they really like when you talk to them genuinely about what it means to be an artist. And every time I go off on one of my famous little rants, they kind of sit there silently, but then I I always get like five emails after saying, thank you for telling us what it's really like to be an artist. And I don't gloss over that. I think it's important for them to understand, first of all, to have a female role model is important. Fairly young, I'm 36, you know, and seeing that it's possible to live in the most expensive city, Mm -hmm. basically, one of the most expensive cities, one of the most competitive cities, and be an artist, and have a studio, and go to shows, and have a network that supports you. I think they really need to see it, and so I do tell them that. And sometimes they just look at me sweetly. And they don't, they don't say much, but I do think they're processing it. And then um, I do think that's important. So, um, but formally, you know, it's it's also really interesting to teach um, that array of classes, and I think it's made me a much better artist um, and a much better critic, ultimately. So, um, and yes, I do. I run the New York City Crit Club with my friend, um, Hillary Doyle, who founded it in 2017, and then asked me to join as, you know, just to help her teach the class. It was one class of 16 or 17 people in the fall, and I helped her teach because she was busy. She also is a part-time faculty at Rhode Island School of Design and SUNY Purchase, and she was busy, so she said, can you help me? And we we just alternated the class and it was adults, you know, it's adults post-school, sort of a critique level class, but using the things that she knows from, you know, her institutional work and her, her painting practice. And um, it became something so much bigger and I and we are so proud of it. And so now we work really, you know, the two of us work together pretty democratically on the project and the project is so massive and and we i just feel like we are so um we're working so hard to make it as good as possible so you know fundamentally the new york city crit club um you know offers community critical feedback um connection um in-person critiques now of course with the world being on zoom we are doing our critiques on zoom and that's actually going really well Um, and the and it's a juried program so we do ask that artists apply um, so that we can vet and understand, of course, the, the background of artists, and and perhaps what's interesting to you in this conversation too is the the range of artists. So we have artists that have Paul Krasner grants that have gone to Skowhegan, mm-hmm. that have MFAs, um, and then we have artists that are you know you know working at a science tech lab at NYU or a social worker or or you know working in a boutique in Lower Manhattan and love art, but. Have a little bit of an art background, but maybe not as much formally and they submit a portfolio and they, you know, apply like everyone else and um, we create classes based off of um, A huge diverse range of people. And I think that that helps the dialogue and 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 what's most rewarding about it is that they want to be there so badly. Because it is so hard in New York to get people to come to your studio, number one, mm-hmm. it's so hard to have a studio economically. Yeah. And what this offers is essentially all of that. Like you can visit a friend's studio now in your class, and you can get feedback, and you can help give feedback. So you are an active participant as a peer. Um, and although Hillary and I and our additional faculty do lead the groups, so we are faculty. We are using all of the skills that we have gone to grad school for, and the 10 years of teaching between us. um, We also really try very hard to foster the group dynamics so that they're really learning from each other too. And again, like a lot of them are older than us and Mm -hmm. some of them also teach in college. And so we're really humbled and grateful for the community. And we do feel like it's serving um, underserved people, um, not seen artists. Um, We've collectively, I think curated like 20 shows, um, giving these artists opportunities, written about them, Um, many have gone into grad school, to RISD, Yale, Columbia, state Mm -hmm. schools all over the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And also last thing I'll say is that it's um, economically achievable, it's really affordable. Mm -hmm. And we we do even offer work study options and we offer um, scholarships even of course to low income people that express need. Um, and basically it's like 0.25% the cost of art school
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: we're really proud of that and it takes a lot of work like hours and hours and hours phone calls And spreadsheets, but we we are so proud that we are not putting anyone in debt and that for basically $28 a class you can meet with like some of the best critics in new york and have people give you feedback so that's the yeah, I mean I have a job that I love at a university and I'm proud of it. And I, I love doing it. No question. And I also have this project that I think Hillary and I both just feel like is the most rewarding thing in our lives, really. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. that's a long answer. I'm sorry but it's not mm-hmm. an easy thing to summarize. So. No, I even want to ask more questions. So I have two more questions um, to go along with what you just described. Um, Cause I found it so fascinating that you have, um, you touch both worlds, you know. You teach at um, an institution, and you also facilitate this group of um, New York City Crit Club. So you're exposed to pretty much all artists <laughs> from all walks of life. So the question is, you know, from working with both groups, I'm sure um, we're all artists, and we share similarities, and we also share differences. So just wondering if you have any kind of specific stories um, to explain or just in your opinion, how are these groups different and how are they similar and how have they built on each other and learned from each other?
1: So, well, I, I don't even think it's fair to compare um, even an undergraduate art institute to, mm. to the New York city quick club because again, the college is they're very serious artists and they're yeah. very focused. I mean, it's one of the best art schools in the country. And mm-hmm. and I would say that the, the similarities are that they're both, both groups are interested in art. Both groups are um, passionate about it and invested in it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but my role as a critic and mentor at a university is just, is fundamentally different. Um, only because of where they are. Um, they're 18, 19, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, when I teach the junior and senior, you know, theory courses, um, the conversations really can be, of course, so much deeper and dive into bigger topics, which do, of course, then help my crit club artist conversation. Um, but my role is just really different. So, just as an example, um, from my experience anyway, um, the artists in crit club are adults with full time jobs, most of them, and are are all. F- and working towards shows mm-hmm. or getting to the point of building a body of work to be in a show or to have visits, and so my role is to help develop and foster a conversation that pushes their work there. Mm-hmm. And at a university, your role is to teach a student, of course, the formal language of drawing, of painting, of you know, uh, art history. Um, And you are helping them build bodies of work, but it's just, it's just so different. Um, The conversations are so different. And Mm -hmm. I don't think one is better than the other, but, um, you know, basically the New York City Crit Club is an opportunity for what I would refer to as a a post-grad critique. Mm -hmm. Uh, So professional feedback, um, advice on curating, advice on writing, um, advice on you know, really harsh feedback on building a body of work, and then of course, really gentle feedback with with different um learning styles and different artists' methods. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just so different, but they're they're both so great and i I um
0: yeah, yeah, I guess maybe I didn't define the question clear enough. I guess what I'm curious about more specifically is like the way you observe how both group create or approach art making, you know like. How they behave um, differently or how we, what you learn from observing that and, you know, how each group can learn from each other. That's what yeah.
1: I mean. Well, I think everyone can learn from everyone. I think I even, I learned from my students at SVA or Rutgers or wherever I've taught. And I, I hope that I learned that, I hope that the artists, of course, I mentor and work with as a critic and critic club also learn from me, but I do learn from them quite a bit. Um, basically diversity and seeing different ways of production is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, fundamentally it's important to understand that you are not the only way that art is made and that art is made, um, ideally not in a vacuum. And the differences between of course a six-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 40-year-old are are vast and it's not necessarily age. It's the openness to, um, to making sense of things. And so there is a level of play in, in a child's art that we all should really strive for. And then there's, of course, a level of serious inquiry, uh, be it theoretical or art historical or formally in a college student who's trying to figure out what does it mean to make brush marks be specific? And if I walk into a crit room for a, like a seminar of painting and I say, your language, your paint language is, seems arbitrary and I need to know what you're trying to get to. And so what does your paint language mean? You know, and that just means brush marks, brush variation, brush size, speed tactility, surface, and so understanding those elements of art is really important to understanding language because it's tied to a history that is both privileged and complicated, but you are a part of it, and it's not not good to be naive to it, but it's also not good to be tied to it, so that's when the six-year-old's ideas of art making are important to remember again, that you have to follow your impulses as an artist, but it's also your duty to understand the world that you're in, and just because it's art doesn't mean it's like there's no rules. I think that's a really huge misconception. But I also think I'm going to completely contradict myself. There are no rules. Um, and, and that's what's so confusing about actually making work that that matters historically or socially or personally. Um, and so, you know, when I think about the, the basic conversations within the New York City Crick Club, we do talk about material specificity. Um, we talk about formal suggestions of, you know, maybe include a light source or maybe include your surface needs to be more varied. But fundamentally too, we get to the larger things, which are what are you interested in? Like actually, like because you're just regurgitating art history or something you saw on Instagram. So what are you interested in? And most often these artists are interested in a wild array of things from molecular chemistry to chickens to um their kids' art. And so um You know, I I think how to get that conversation going for even a college kid or a post-school artist, it's kind of similar, but we can have a larger conversation because the artists in Crick Club are are just fundamentally more lived. They They have made work alone. They have made work without deadlines. They have made work within institutional settings and without. And they're also incredibly thirsty. And when you're a kid, often in school, it is a little annoying to hear all the things like don't use black paint or make sure that you're varying your brush marks because they're just trying to create art. They don't know yet what that all means in the grand scheme of things. Some of them do, but a lot of them are really just trying to find their language. Mm -hmm. So that's a different role. I would be way more open with those students because they're just 18, 19, 20. But when you're 30, 40, 50, and you've been making art independently for 20 years and you've had like seven shows or no shows, we can have a different conversation because you have the experience,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so yeah, I love both. Um, I, I think that they they are just so different, but um, but it is important to know more. I, I really think so. Um, I don't. I didn't go to an art institute for undergrad. I think I took one oil painting class in my life. I. Went to graduate school for art at a state institute, Rutgers, which was a phenomenal program, but they don't teach you formal language in graduate school. So fundamentally, I'm actually really self-taught as an artist. I mean, I'm theoretically and like historically more learned mm. than I am formally, mm. and I, but I've learned by working obsessively mm. and watching videos and practicing. And, you know, I have I have skills that I've learned and earned, but I, I'm not really from the academy of um, of formal perfection or language. And so I feel much more interested and akin to the people that that are coming from that place too. Mm-hmm. But the more we talk, you know, these artists in Crit Club and the more we introduce history and language and theory and text, the more they grow and the more the work grows. And that's really
0: important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think my um, next question Along with that is, I'm just curious if you have a specific story, in. I'm particularly interested in the New York City Crit Club. If you have an interesting story of how a Crit session has helped an artist, you know, grow their work or, you know, change their perspective or expand their perspective. You obviously don't have to name the artist, but if you have some, you know, interesting case studies or best practices from from that crit session for like or series of crit questions that has helped mm-hmm. artists because i think that that would be beneficial for artists who are listening
1: yeah of course um oh, i'd like to think there's a lot of success stories now that how the organization has helped um best practices in the studio so you know the crit club is also really pretty intense it sounds like kind of i think the name sounds casual but we have a curriculum and we have a schedule (laughs) Mm -hmm. like that literally mirrors the college level schedule and we bring in guest critics and in the first round of presentations artists present their work and the second round of presentations the next four weeks after the first four they present another body of work or the second round or response to the first round so um a, a good way of maybe answering your question is that we set up essentially a critique where people discuss the work first and what it's doing and describe it. So I notice is a great way to start um, a sentence without bringing in your personal values into the, the conversation. So I noticed that you were using ultramarine blue mostly in the left-hand side of the painting. And I noticed that your surface on the right side is two inches like thicker and um, and that your scale is 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 only 8 by 10. You know, you just notice what your what the work is doing. And that opens up the conversation number one to be a little easier, to be a little more, you know, just observational and it it doesn't allow things like you should just make this large and why don't you use black if you have so much white in your painting. So we don't really allow or foster those kind of conversations because they don't get anywhere. So ideally what is best happens is that the artist presenting their five or seven paintings or sculptures gets 10 people to 15 people's 10 minute feedback on what the work is fundamentally like as a noun and in its adjectives and then we spend the second half essentially which is offering obstructions mm. so um obstructions are, are generally essentially habit-breaking critiques and so we say you know Benz, i noticed that you use a, a predominant amount of light and white-based uh, tints, um, and so you know what what would happen if you pull from a grayscale, and would that help your research? And you don't have to take that obstruction, and you have a partner write down those ideas, um, and maybe you take two of the ten offerings, and you work for the next five weeks on obstructing your habits of using the same color palette or the same mark making, and ideally too, those obstructions should be based upon research. So if your research is you know, fluidity and color as it relates to, I don't know, psychological attachment or uh, trauma, you know, that's interesting. So the job of the peers in the group is to really give you specific feedback and really limit things like, why don't you just do this? Mm. Well, this looks cool. You should do that again, because those are flat. They're not giving us anything. Mm -hmm. And And the artists do a great job. They really follow that. And I think we've seen artists that can, I think the artists that continually do it like a few semesters in a row really grow immensely. I mean, I'm groundbreaking work. Like people that had entered maybe three years ago took three semesters in a row or maybe a semester off, but basically have been in it. They have a production schedule. They have a presentation schedule. They have visits every few weeks and just that alone really gets their work to the next level. And, you know, some of them have, have gone on to great graduate schools or having solo shows in New York City or all over, you know, the country. And um, and there's been so many cases like that, that basically consistent feedback and, you know, thoughtful feedback can really help um, the artists build a body of work and then they're curating their own shows and they're in spring break art fair and they're going to Columbia MFA or they're, they don't want to go to MFA anymore. And they know that they, they just need to make their work, um, you know, more thoughtful and more serious or maybe larger or maybe smaller. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I mean, there's no, there's so many cases and I'd be, you know, remiss not to name like the the dozens I feel like are wildly successful, but, just maybe for the sake of the podcast, I won't like name every single person. But um, yeah, I think some people have just really grown from it. And you know, some people might just want it for the community. And the fact that it does foster that schedule of presentations and meeting new people. And, And you know, some people I respect that they might have basically a lot of their work pretty developed. And they're like, they have a way that they operate, but they're still open to a small feedback obstruction. And I think that's what I'm so proud of. Like I have artists that have had solo shows that untitled that have gallery representation Mm -hmm. that don't need necessarily what, what you would think that they don't need it, but they're so open to it because why not? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so much good in it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just really exciting. Mm -hmm.
0: Where do you find time to paint all of these? How do you, how do you
1: do that? The eternal question, You know, <laughs> I wrote in my like little love letter to artists, um, which I enjoyed writing. Thank you. It's a nice prompt. Um, I feel like I have developed a way to make work no matter what. Um, when I was in my twenties, I taught kids. I taught in a middle school and I, was really busy during the day you know it was an eight to five job or eight to four or something like this and um i always just found time to build in a few hours and so that was a habit i started in my 20s and you know even teens of course you know making art then but i didn't realize how hard it would be (laughs) until like until later on um so i don't know how do i make time you just do it so there's just certain things i don't do like we don't have a tv i don't like waste time like i don't watch anything besides documentaries or, like, some fun Netflix things, Um, I don't know, I'm, for me, it's, like, such an honor and a privilege to go to my studio, and it's a a huge investment that I, like, I, like, dream about it, Um, and so what else am I going to do? I mean, for right now, we don't have a kid. I don't know what will happen then, but you just keep doing it, Mm. Um, if I'm not at the studio, I'm drawing. If I'm not at the studio and I'm not working, I am usually reading about art. And I wrote in the love letter too to sort of practice the ability to shut your eyes and dream about your art. I think that's really important. You yeah. know, I'm on the subway a lot. You know, you're stuck, you're waiting, and sort of staring at my phone, which I do too, of course. I try very hard to sometimes just do digital drawings to, um, you know, and to daydream about the paintings. I think that's actually a really good mental practice is to shut your eyes and allow possibilities in. Um, And then when you get to the studio, there's also just an urgency for time. So I don't like get there and I'm never like, what am I gonna do now? It's just, Mm -hmm. you just work. Yeah. Um, But I'm in love with making work, you know, and nobody could crit me out of it. Nobody can, I don't care if I sell another painting. I don't, it's nice, that stuff is fine. And that's an important conversation, like, you know, showing and selling but I would make it anyway. And Mm -hmm. I am in love with it, independent of the success by the art world, but I still, of course, have certain goals I'd like, but um, I don't know how I find time. I just make time happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. Last question. If you have the magic power to change one thing in the art world, whatever the art world is, I actually want to know what art world means to you too. So you can explain that.
1: Um, oh yeah. Well, I'd like to ask you that same thing. I mean, I don't. What what is the art world to you too? I mean, I, I think it's just the
0: art community as a whole, um, a community of people who make art. Like what do you want to make happen? What kind of change do you want to see? I think that's the question.
1: Well, there's, there's like the lofty goals of what I'd like to see happen. And then there's the reality. And so I mm. don't know. Um, you know, I think the the COVID crisis is unfortunate on a thousand levels, and I wish it wasn't happening. Um, I think I, I wish that there was mid-level galleries again in cities, um, mm-hmm. mid-level meaning like not Gagosian, but not necessarily like um, a very small sort of uh, gallery. I wish there was levels um, that could support mid-career artists. I wish there was more levels of galleries that were more open. I think artists run galleries, which I ran an, um, an organization called Ortegi Gasset for three years. I just stopped last year is a great example of artists pulling together to show and support other artists. I hope more of those occur. Um, I, I think that, I don't know if there's one thing, but I guess I wish people would buy more art from women and from people of color. Mm-hmm. I wish more shows were showing diverse artists and women. Um, I wish more collections were buying from living artists. Um, and I wish galleries advocated more for artists. I wish galleries would, this is a wish based off of, I understand realities, they have to fight too, right? They have to make money mm-hmm. and they deserve credit. Galleries are not that, they're they're the ones advocating for us. But the way advocacy has changed in the art world is because of the market and because of the internet. So. Essentially, what that means is that galleries don't, um, they don't often do the thing that they used to do, which was maybe have a roster that showed their artists every two years, Mm. maybe even subsidize their show, like paid for their studio so they could make that work and sell that work, and then get that artist into collections and other galleries. So many artists, many galleries still do this, of course. What What I wish would happen is that more galleries did this. And that artists and art dealers had a closer relationship, but you know um, it's not impossible, and there's there's really good examples of it. But I do wish that 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 the model of um, mid-tier to you know emerging level galleries would really invest in people. Mm-hmm. You know, not just give a not just give a show here and there or a group show. I wish they would really invest in artists and let them build bodies of work because you need time, you need generations to make work. I mean you know, you just need time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, and I wish people would stop obsessing over Instagram. Um, I wish people would make work more independent of what they see on, on Instagram. I wish people would not be worried about things like likes or followers. I wish, I wish that artists, um, and I think that's happening. I think people are really tiring of it a little bit. I think people are like, they're not interested or impressed anymore. I think there was a wave of this obsession with it. Mm-hmm. But on on the other side, I I will say that it's an incredibly important tool and I love it in a lot of ways. But I I really hope people start making work from a different place than worrying about that sort of sense of fake approval. Um, You know, but the Internet's here, it's not going anywhere. And uh, the art world is a huge machine that operates in in a way I don't understand personally because it's Mm -hmm. a billion dollar industry. Um, I, I wish they would show more women and minorities and, um, and, and I wish that, uh, funding for graduate schools was higher. So a lot of wishes, actually. That's not one. I I just went off on a total wish list, but, um, but yeah. And also what is the art world? I mean, the art world is what you can make it. The art world is not just in New York city or Berlin or Paris or wherever the art world is everywhere. The art world is all around. And I think it's really important to not be, um, not not think that you have to be one place to make work and to have a community. And um Instagram and all the medias are really good to reach out and form new relationships in other parts of America that have great art scenes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I think the art world is 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 very generous and very beautiful and I feel proud to be a part of it. And um and I I feel like I'm a part of um a section of a part of the art world that is um inclusive and generous. And I, I would mm-hmm. prefer to stay in that one and not worry too much about um Whatever other options
0: there are. Yeah. Yeah. What is, I mean, for you, what is the art world? That's, I mean, because I come from a totally different place. Like, I mean, I am not really even engaged in, um, I'm actually in my own world right now. Like, I am just making work. I'm on my fifth year of making art. Mm -hmm. The art world to me is whoever is expressing themselves through art, you know, no matter if you want to be in a gallery or a lot of people that I work with um, just want to sell their art directly to collectors. Um, You know, so I find it so interesting. That's why um, we had a little bit of our talk um, pre-recording that, you know, my real interest is learning from people from different walks of life and different part of the art I don't know how to define this. I feel like the art world sounds a bit exclusive. It feels a bit um, like you have to go through a certain passage to, to be able to exist in that world. And I, myself, I don't believe that I'm a part of that world and I'm okay with that, you know? So I, yeah, I'm interested in Knowing what it means for different people and maybe we can find a new word that is more inclusive for all artists because when I first started looking on Instagram I had the feeling that some people feel like artists who sell art on Etsy are not really in the art world You know, but in my definition that can be an art world. That's their art world, you know, so I don't know For me, the art world is an inclusive space for whoever wants to make art and share it or not. Um, mm-hmm. It's just about expression, I think.
1: Well, I think, you know, it's a its a pretty large conversation in general about whatever the art world is. And, and we can go down the, the list of a thousand examples of how the art world has been um, exclusive um, or the art market in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you know, people that have made art from the beginning of time made it for... N- Primarily communication and storytelling. Mm-hmm. If you look at Native American ledger drawings, they were making drawings on ledger um, paper, which was given to them or um, forced to them by uh, American settlers after they killed their buffalo. <laughs> so, you know, the Native Americans continued to make art on papers and things that were not, of course, privileged surfaces like canvases. Um, they were making them anyway and they would have continued to make them, whether or not their whole territories were taken. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people have made images on cave walls and that is art, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I think that is a really important understanding that there is a there are hierarchies and there are inclusive conversations and there are exclusive conversations. Um, you know, in terms of the idea of what it means to be a professional, I think that's a really huge conversation that I'm interested in and I, I'm interested in people that make things fundamentally. Um, but I do think I'm really interested in people that make things from a, um, a standpoint that is personal, but also connected to art history. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think there's a lot of critique and there's a lot of conversation about that idea of like where to show your work and where to sell it. And I think that that's really a result of, um, ego and, um, and it might not lead us anywhere, but, um, you know, galleries have a real important role. And I think it's really important to support galleries. Mm. And if you don't know where to show your work, I think you should start your own gallery. And if you feel excluded by the art world and you don't think you can get into a gallery, you should start your own space in your apartment. And fundamentally, too, what's important about galleries and showing your work in the world or even offering it to the world is that people matter. Mm -hmm. and in this time of this COVID where everyone is staring at screens, I don't want to look at art on screens, and I don't want to buy art on screens, and I don't want to like do that that much anymore. I never did really anyway, but so make a space. Space matters, and I think it's important for people all around the country, art trained or not, to make a show in your garage, to make a show in your kitchen, and to build your own art world. And there's a huge history of artists run galleries that have been doing that for about 10 years and have really shaped the way that the art world is accessible. Mm-hmm. And so I think the art world is honestly now more accessible than it has ever been if you are open to it. Um, and so Tiger Strikes Asteroids, an artist run gallery in New York, LA, Chicago, Philadelphia, Ortega Hits a gallery in Gowanus, Brooklyn, started by artists, all of them, uh, Transmitter, um, you know, there's so many galleries that are doing great work that are advocating for not necessarily like, I don't know, outsider is even a stupid word to describe it. Just people that are not famous yet. And then guess what? Like, you have a few shows in a cool little gallery, in Ohio or in Philly or in New York. Mm. You're 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 closer to the connection possibilities. And I do think it's important to have those physical opportunities. And mostly because art matters because of people. Mm. Huh? Mm-hmm. And so sales, I don't think about them. I don't care. I care about people and I care about conversations and I care about community. And to be a part of that, you have to open yourself up to that. And, and, it's, and, and some people listening might not have known that you could start your own gallery in your backyard mm-hmm. and you can, that does two things, Benz. Mm-hmm. That involves people that wouldn't have seen your art to see your art. Mm -hmm. That lets that wall come down of privilege that also lets you have the authority and the autonomy to create the world you want, wherever you live. And guess what? The art world loves that. The art world is not above that. That's actually the art world now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to continue this tradition on of starting these um, galleries or, you know, online podcasts or programs. This is very inclusive um, and it's very open and that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, now more than ever, I want people, I want spaces Um, and I I just want people to stop obsessing about CVs and about Mm -hmm. collections and selling. I don't want to hear any of it. I just want people to um, make good work and come together for the next round of shows whenever we're allowed to have them.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. So, um, yeah,
1: Yeah. that
0: matters um, a lot. Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) We can have another episode just about artists' wish. About the art world, and oh, yeah. of I mean, it. it's endless. That was so such a big that. one. <laughs> yeah,
1: but it's it, it's not a the art world's tough, but it's it's possible. You know, it it mm-hmm. seems impossible from the outside to me. Twelve years ago, it seemed impossible. I had no idea how to be in a show. I had no idea how to do anything. Mm-hmm. But you just have to believe it's possible. And and once you feel like you're semi there or you're involved at least to some degree, mm-hmm. it's um it's really just full of normal people who just want. To be better and have yeah. conversations so it's um it is possible and, and connection matters and being generous matters that's uh, really the most important thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank you so much Catherine yes thank you Ben for um, asking me to come on and talk to you about art and all of the things yeah
0: can you share your website and anything like because you have several projects um where people can find you Oh yeah, sure,
1: thank you. Um, Well, my website is just my name, so it's KatherineHaggerty.com. I do keep it fairly updated, although I can't get any new work photographed until the pandemic ends, I guess. But um, yeah, I I was supposed to have a few shows with some galleries this spring, which would have been fun, one of which was an artist-run gallery in Baltimore um, called St. Charles Projects, and I think that's pushed to the fall. Um, I was supposed to have another show in Switzerland um, at a small space in Lugano on Lake Lugano, and that got pushed. Mm. Um, and I'm working towards hopefully a solo show at um, Massey Klein Gallery in Lower East Side in December. So all of these things are just fingers crossed at this point, and I really hope they all happen. But um, I do post work sometimes to Instagram, or often to Instagram, which is just uh, my name with an underscore in the middle, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. but. Um, if, if you're interested in the New York City Crit Club, we have, of course, a website, which is nycritclub.com And we have an Instagram account, which is the same. And um, we are running summer courses right now. Uh, we're running six courses, which is really incredible. Um, and we're really excited for the summer. And we'll start a new fall semester soon. And we will likely have Zoom um you know, Zoom calls in the fall too, even if we have in person, just to have the option. Because what we found with this uh, pandemic is that actually we've gotten double the applications for nice. the summer, which we were not expecting necessarily, because it's the summer and it's a global pandemic. Mm. But I think now more than ever, people are just really interested in the idea of talking about art with peers mm. in a serious way. So um, yeah, and then we're getting a lot of people from all around the country, which is really cool. That's so. Right. Yeah. we're really happy to be able to reach now with this network we've built um, other people, Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Canada, like everywhere, LA. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited that other people now can be a part of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you plan to continue that even after the pandemic ends, right? Because
1: Yeah, we'll great. continue the zoom calls. I think we might do one or two. We, we ideally will go back to being in person, mm-hmm. but I think what we've learned from this is that there's actually a huge opportunity of people that maybe they can't leave their house so much. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of, you know, inclusion things, like, I mean, sure. we're trying always to be even more inclusive, more democratic to people. And so something we never thought about, like, what if you can't get around so easy? Or what if you live in a bad, in a neighborhood that's not close enough to attend? Mm-hmm. And now we're like, okay, that's cool. That's a possibility. So we're really, we're hoping that that does help other people too. That's
0: really,
1: more soon, I guess. Yeah.
0: Thanks again, Catherine. We'll catch you. you next time. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, bye for now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Dear Artist Podcast. If you enjoy the episode, please share it with your friends or leave a lovely review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will help the podcast reach more people. I appreciate you being here and spending time with me and the guests. And I will see you in the next episode. Thank you. Bye.